I want you to imagine that you're sitting in church and a preacher gets up and the preacher has an incredible spirit. I mean, they're fervent. They're like T.D. Jakes. They just have this incredible power. If you've ever heard T.D. Jakes, when he begins to speak, he just captivates an audience. He has incredible oratory. You listen to this teacher as you listen to them teach. They have that kind of power. This teacher also can open up the Jewish scriptures. Man, they can start in Genesis, go all the way through to Second Chronicles, which is the last book in the Hebrew Bible that I've often taught you. It's the same books, but a different order. And man, this teacher, it just makes the Jewish scriptures come alive. And this teacher focuses us on the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. This teacher had an incredible power when they talked to us about the, the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember the ministry of John the Baptist? Remember when Dr. Luke introduces the story of Jesus in Luke's gospel, he puts the birth of John the Baptist and the power of John the Baptist's anointing, and he juxtaposes that with the birth of Jesus. He tells those two stories together. Man, this preacher can make the, the ministry of John the Baptist ring. He can tell you about John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. This preacher also probably really teaches you about Jesus dying on the cross. He knows what the Gospel of Luke culminates in, and Jesus stretching out it on Calvary and dying so that our sins can be forgiven. And he even teaches about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So he's a powerful teacher. But as you're sitting there, you're a business couple. All of you are in business today, okay? This teacher has incredible learning has incredible oratory, has incredible knowledge of the Scripture. But as you listen, you notice that it's incomplete. We want to learn today about a preacher that was powerful, and he was accurate, and he taught the way of God, and he taught about Jesus, only he didn't have the whole story. Now, if you're a business person sitting in the audience listening to that person, how are you going to react? Well, there's a couple named Priscilla and Aquila that were in the synagogue of Ephesus. What I just described to you is what happened. And they could have decided what we can decide is I'm just the business person. What right do I have to try to do anything with this eloquent, powerful theologian? Do you ever feel that way? Like one of the things in my own life, it's really easy for me because I've been trained in theology. One of the things that I have to really wrestle with is that I speak a lot. But when I'm with you, do I listen? And do I have a spirit that a lay person, a business person that works with their hands and is out there in the marketplace, can I learn from them? And one of the neat things we're going to learn in the passage today about an eloquent, powerful preacher that in an incomplete message, and he was corrected by a lay couple that were used by the Holy Spirit to bring this preacher along so that he entered into a full, complete message. And we're going to close the passage with this preacher even being able to move to another city to go from Ephesus down in Corinth. He said, Dave, what are you talking to us about? Well, there's a man named Apollos. Anybody ever heard of Apollos? Apollos was one of the mighty first century teachers. And if you turn to Acts chapter 18, verses 24 and following we'll learn about Apollos. We have Apollos introduced to us, and this will help you not only in your study of the book of Acts, but you'll also learn a lot about the book of Corinthians, and you'll understand how the Corinthians tended to have one group that followed Paul and another group that followed Apollos and another group that were really spiritual followed Jesus. Well, how did this Apollos, who was he and what did he do? So we're introduced in the beginning of verse 24. We're introduced to Apollos. Look what it says. 
Acts chapter 18, verse 24, and see what you can pick out about Apollos. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos. He was a native of Alexandria. He came to Ephesus, and he was a learned man. And the word there, learned, means he was a learned man. He was also an eloquent man. He was an orator. He was a powerful communicator. He was a learned man with an eloquent, powerful gift, and he, was a, he had a thorough knowledge. In fact, Luke in the Greek says he was powerful in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures at this time would be the Jewish Scriptures of the Old Testament. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, okay? So what have we learned? What's the very first thing that Luke tells us about Apollos? He was a... Everybody tell me. He was a... Okay. Remember what I taught you, because one of the ideas that's going to be really important, do you believe that Jesus is for Jewish people? Do you? In the popular culture, it's very in and very popular to believe that Jesus is for you as Gentiles, but he's not for Jewish people. Jewish people followed the laws of Moses and the kosher food and the Torah, and they learned Talmud, and they do their Jewish thing. You're a Christian. You follow Jesus. And it's very acceptable within our pluralistic culture that Christianity is a nice religion, Judaism is a nice religion, Islam is a nice religion, and the idea is that all of them are in separate compartments, and you want to be really careful to not try to jump compartments. Biblically, that's totally wrong. If you're going to follow Jesus that's presented to us in the Scripture, you need to understand that your whole movement, the whole Jesus movement, started out with Jews. A lot of Jews don't understand that because they've been taught from the time they're little kids that Jesus is for the Goys. They're for the Gentiles. They call them Goy, the other people. And Jesus is a curse word. Like when I read Jewish novelists like Herman Wook, he'll use Jesus as a cuss word. Because to them, and before you get angry, you need to understand the history. To them, Jesus equals Christendom, equals the group of people that had the Crusades, that before the Crusades even started out at Tours, they had a bunch of Jews in the castle of Tours. The bishop, the Roman Catholic bishop, couldn't protect them, and the Crusaders went in and murdered men, women, and children before they even marched to try to fight against the Muslims in the East. Jews all know that history. A lot of you don't know the history, and you say, well, I'm not interested in history. Well, what you need to understand is that's why Jews are so antagonistic to Jesus. Because they equate it with Christendom. And they automatically think of what's happened with supposedly Christian Europe. And that's why it's so hard in Europe because then Christianity has become just a cultural thing. What I want to understand is that we need to get back to the first century documents. And whatever you believe about Jesus, you need to understand that the Jesus movement began with Jews. That's what Dr. Luke is teaching us in The early chapters of Acts, we have only Jews. Now, I want you to see that after Gentiles have started coming to the family, Luke is still teaching us 
that there's Jews that are in this Jesus movement. In fact, in this context, we're going to learn about a Jewish man that was beginning to get into the Jesus movement, but he doesn't have the whole story about the most important, powerful one that's going to anoint us in the Jesus movement. So everybody understand that? I want you to be crystal clear, and I want you to be alert in your Bible study and be alert in your conversations. It's very important to understand Apollos is Jewish. What else do we learn? What's the second thing? Where is Apollos from? Where is he a native? He's not from Midlothian. He's not from Dallas. Where is he from? Anybody know anything about Alexandria in the, in the first century Roman world? For some of you that are, might be history but What's the largest city in the Roman Empire? Amen. I just gave you the answer. See, listen carefully. What's the second largest city in the empire? Everybody tell me. You're all smart. Y'all, that's incredible. How did you know that Alexandria was the second largest city in the empire? It was. It's the breadbasket of the Roman Empire. That's why Cleopatra and Mark Antony was such a big deal. Because at that time, Egypt, with a flooding in the Nile, produces all the grain. Alexandria is right in the delta. Alexander the Great founded the city. By the time of Jesus and by the time of the first century birth of the Christian church, Alexandria is the second largest city in the empire. And there's a very large Jewish community there. In fact, 200 years before Jesus came, there were so many Jews down in Alexandria that were speaking Greek. Greek, and they were forgetting their Hebrew, that it was in Alexandria that the Greek copy of the Jewish scriptures was translated. So if you're with Wycliffe Bible translators, or if you support them, which you should, the Jews translating their Hebrew scripture into Greek took place in Alexandria. I also want you to know that in the first century, Alexandria was one of the most learned cities. It was the university city. Like Athens, it was very, very powerful. And then as church history began to develop, Alexandria becomes a very important center of Christianity. You might not realize that with all the information here about Egypt and how Egypt is Muslim and how Egypt is against Jesus and all that kind of a thing, and they're for Muhammad. You need to understand the history. The birthplace of Christianity, Alexandria, is one of the wombs. It's one of the places where Christianity really was born and it grew. And, and, and this man, Apollos, was an Alexandrian. That leads to the next thing we learned about him, and I already taught you a little about this. He was a learned man. I want you to ask you a question. Do you honor learned men and women? How do you feel about learned men and women? Are they good? All of my life, in the body of Christ, there's always friction between the learned and the supposed unlearned. In other words, those that have a thorough training in the Scriptures, those that know the languages, those that know theology, the teachers... They are often in their own little group, and those that don't have that teaching, those that don't have the teaching, and they didn't get to go to seminary, and they didn't learn the languages, they tend to withdraw from the learned person. All of my life in ministry, there's been the evangelists. And the evangelists were saying, we need to get out there and win souls. You don't need to go to seminary, man. The Lord's coming back. You don't need to study anything. And my theologians would say, you evangelists are so shallow. You don't have any depth in your understanding, and you really don't understand what you're talking about. And the two groups fight each other. Right within Midlothian Bible Church, the tendency can be we have learned people, but they're dry and they're boring. 
and we don't understand what they're talking about because they're too much like academics, okay? Then you have those that have fire and passion and excitement and simplicity. One of the things I want you to learn from this passage is Dr. Luke is teaching you in the body of Christ, if we're going to be balanced, we need to honor, not reject those that are learned. Dr. Luke is saying that it's a good quality. Remember when you're studying a story, you need to ask yourself who are the good guys and who are the bad guys and who are those that swing from bad to good or from good to bad. The way Apollos is presented in this story, do you think he's a good guy or a bad guy? So when you're reading the Bible, it doesn't make any difference whether you think someone's good or not. Like, you might be sitting here and say, man, I got rooked by a, by a college professor when I was young, and I don't like learned people. I've been rejecting learned people all my life, and I'm speaking to you this morning. The Holy Spirit wants you to learn that one of the good qualities is learning, and you need to honor the apologists. They're not bad guys, and this is where we learn from one another. You see, we need apologists. How many of you have a Bible in your house? How many of your Bibles are written in English? How many of you read Greek fluently? How many of you read Hebrew fluently? How many of you read Aramaic? Do you realize if it wasn't for learned, trained, biblical scholars, you wouldn't even have your Bible? So don't demean learning. That's what this text wants us to learn, okay? And this is how I want you to read the Bible. I want you to learn not just what I'm teaching this morning. I want you, in your quiet time, as you're reading the Bible, that you let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Hey, Dr. Luke is saying that a Jewish person like Apollos that's from Alexandria, he's someone that can really believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And he can be a learned, trained scholar. Also, he was really a powerful speaker. If you're burdened about communicating the Word of God, one of the things that you need to honor is skill in communication. In other words, there's nothing glorious about someone that bores an audience, someone that can't communicate. I took from professors that would read their whole lecture. Academics tends to be boring, and we need to get over that. If you're in academics, don't be boring. Apollos needs to teach you. He was not only learned but he was a powerful orator. He was a powerful teacher. He held audiences. So that's something that a learned person could do. A lot of learned people don't have any fire, don't have any passion. And the text is telling us here that Apollos wasn't just learned, but he was also eloquent and he had a great fervent spirit. He was excited. He was passionate about what he talked about. When you're communicating, you need to communicate to people's heads. You need to have the right ideas. You also need to have the right heart. You need to appeal to their emotions. And the tendency is to divorce both of that. Most of you have messages that are constantly appealing to your emotions and not at all to your head. In our culture, we drive everything with the emotion. And you need to learn as you're listening to people, are they appealing to emotion and use your head? Is this really true? Is it really the way that things are? Or are they just moving me with my passions, with our emotion? And then the third thing that a really powerful speaker does is they get you activated. It's one of the things that I need to grow in. Like I'm often strong on the head and then I have fervency, but I can be weak and say, hey, what are you going to do about it? For example, my dad was just the opposite. My dad would drive you. Right now you need to get born again. 
He's very skillful in that. A great communicator gets the head, the heart, and the will, and the hands all connected. Apollos had all that together. So Dr. Luke is painting a picture. This guy's really a good guy. He's really a powerful man. I also want you to see that he had the thorough knowledge. It says there at the end of verse 24, he had a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, something that all of you need to honor. You need to honor Dr. Luke is presenting. This is God's holy word. I want to make it really clear. Apollos wasn't just learned in the Greek philosophy of Alexandria. He wasn't just a learned scholar on the Roman philosophy of Stoicism. This Dr. Apollos was a learned Jew in the Holy Scriptures. I want to really make sure it's one of the bedrocks of our church family. It needs to be that we need to be really honoring a thorough, powerful knowledge of the Scripture. For example, when I was being raised in certain groups, they would say, if you go down deep into the Word of God, you're going to come up dry. I'm going to say that again. I often heard as a kid, if you go down deep into the Word of God, you're going to come up dry. That is a lie. That is not true. You don't want someone teaching you on a regular basis that doesn't really have a thorough knowledge of the Scripture. And as lay people, it's very important for you to be growing in your thorough knowledge of the Scripture. We're going to learn that Priscilla and Aquila have such a thorough knowledge of the Scripture that they're able to help this eloquent, powerful theologian from Alexandria and complete his message. You need to be reading God's Word book by book, beginning at the beginning, going to the end, letting the book itself teach you what is good, what is bad, how there's grace and swinging from bad to good. You need to be growing in your knowledge of the Scripture, and I want to motivate you. You can do it. If you read the Bible and you open your heart and you read it in order, If you take a book like Acts and you start reading in Acts chapter 1 and you read through the end, you can learn from the Holy Spirit together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can learn and become powerful in the Scripture. I really want you to know that. You don't have to go to seminary to become powerful in the Scripture. My dad never even graduated from high school, and he was powerful in his 80s in the Scripture. Because he learned from seminary professor. But most of all, I saw him every single day down on his knees with a red Bible because he said to me when the time was a kid, the Bible should be read. And he would be on his knees reading every single day. That's the biggest image I have. It's one of the earliest images of my dad in his study reading the Bible. A lot of evangelists, I know them. They don't know the Bible. They're not biblical. They're just, they have one simple message and they do it over and over again and they're really good and they can really wow you with an audience, but they don't have a thorough knowledge of the scripture. So Apollos is teaching us from Dr. Luke, we need to have a thorough knowledge of the scripture. Everything so far is really positive about this incredible speaker. It even says that he taught accurately about Jesus. He's teaching, teaching about the way of God. Though he, but here's the negative. Though he only knew the baptism of John. And I want you to see, and this is the way you need to read. Dr. Luke is setting you up. He is a Jew. He is from Alexandria. He's a parable communicator. He has a thorough knowledge of the scripture. He knows the way of God. He is powerful. He's teaching accurately about Jesus. Everything is so positive. But his message is accurate but it's incomplete. He only knows the baptism of John. 
Now, Dr. Luke would expect you to know when you study about the baptism of John, and you can fill in the blanks, Dr. Luke would expect you that you know what he wrote in the Gospel of Luke. Like, if you're really going to understand Acts chapter 18, Dr. Luke didn't just throw, suddenly throw at you the baptism of John. And this is why I want you to learn to read consecutively. Dr. Luke, from early in the Gospel of Luke, has been teaching you one of his major themes is the baptism of John. He starts the ministry of Jesus with the baptism of John. John preaches to the Jewish people, you need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You need to turn away from your wicked ways. If you're a tax collector, you need to only collect fair taxes because the kingdom of God is coming. You need to get ready. If you're a Roman centurion, you need to not exhort. You need to not use pressure. You need to not hurt people and use your power. You need to stand for justice. And John the Baptist taught about ethics. He said, you also need to take the money that you have and the prosperity that you have, and you need to use it to minister to the poor. Those were the measures of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, I'm the forerunner. I'm the Elijah-like prophet. You can read all about this in Luke chapter 1 through 3. One day, Jesus came to John the Baptist and says, I need to be baptized. And John said, no, I can't be baptized. You're the great Messiah. You're the great anointed one. And Jesus said, no, it's necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness. We need to fulfill the plan. And and the idea was Jesus needed to be baptized as a picture of the fact that he would die and that he would rise again. So when John baptized Jesus in the early story of the book of Luke, it pictures for us, like every good storyteller does, only this is history, he's giving you a four picture. He's giving you a foreshadowing of what's going to ultimately happen at the end of the book of Luke. And then it tells us that the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And in Luke, when you read it, Luke delays. He has John get arrested and has John be put in prison. And then he tells you about the ministry of Jesus that's filled with the anointing of the Spirit. Because one thing that Dr. Luke wants you to understand is that John the Baptist predicted. He said, I'm not the Messiah. Remember that? How many remember John the Baptist saying, I'm not the Messiah? What else did he say? I'm not even worthy to tie the thongs on the sandals. Because there's going to come, I baptize you with water, but there's coming one after me that will baptize you with a... Everybody tell me again. There's coming one after me that will baptize you with a... Holy Spirit. In the early chapters of Acts, Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he said, you all need to stay here. You 120 need to stay here. You need to wait for the promise of the Father. Because John baptized you with the water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and out to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then we come into Acts chapter 2, and when we study the book of Acts chapter 2, what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon the 120, and that was the birth of the church. You can do this on your own. Start at Acts chapter 1, and then as you're reading the story, you look at how Dr. Luke keeps talking to you about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes to those that believe in Jesus. So when the gospel goes up into Samaria, the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon the Samaritans until they're connected with the Jerusalem church and the apostles so that the Holy Spirit will be connected with the Scripture. He'll be connected with the apostolic message. This is another thing I want to teach you. There's churches that have the Holy Spirit, but they don't have a thorough knowledge of the Scripture. 
There's churches that have a thorough knowledge of the Scripture, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. And one of Satan's tricks through the ages, and this is happening all over the world, there's a powerful movement of the Holy Spirit in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia. But often it's not rooted in a thorough knowledge of the Scripture, so it slips because the evil one can do powerful miracles. The evil one can heal people. The evil one can cause tables to float and smash against the wall and do all kinds of occultic things. There's great power in this satanic world. And if you don't have a thorough knowledge of the Scripture, then you're captivated by miracle. But if you're going to be balanced, you need to be captivated by the Spirit united with the Word of God. The true Holy Spirit never causes you not to have a thorough knowledge of Scripture. They're always united in the book of Acts. you understand that? It's very important. I had a believer up in Canada say, Dave, this week you've really motivated me to discipline myself to get back in the Word of God because I was relying just upon the Holy Spirit and His immediate presence in my life and the parable things He did when I prayed and the parable things that I saw Him talk to me about in my heart. Well, I got news for you. If you're not listening to God's Word every single day, you're going to hear messages in your heart that don't come from the Holy Spirit. And you're going to think they do. This is really important when I'm teaching you. And that's what Dr. Luke has been teaching you, that Apollos at this point, he has the accurate knowledge of John the Baptist's ministry. What he's lacking is he never learned what Jesus promised, and he hasn't learned that the promise has been fulfilled, that now the Holy Spirit has come. And so what Dr. Luke is setting us up for is correcting Apollos, so that he has a complete message. And I'm praying this for us as a church family. We need more of the control of the Holy Spirit. We have a lot of accurate knowledge. We're like Apollos. We have eloquence. We have the teaching of the Word. But we can be, we can be powerless. And it's very important for us to be asking the power of the Holy Spirit to move upon us. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit through the Holy Word that can cause marriages to unite and to stay together. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit that can cause us to overcome our sin. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit that can convict us, even when I'm teaching you today. Whether or not you receive what I'm teaching you or not, all depends upon the Holy Spirit and your openness to him. And that's what Apollos didn't understand. Apollos had eloquence, he had great knowledge of the Scripture, but he hadn't learned the incredible, wondrous thing of the New Covenant. This is the wondrous thing in the New Covenant. When you believe in Jesus, when you trust in the fact that he died on the cross and rose again for you, then the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of your life. That's what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he gives you a new heart. That's what Jeremiah promised you. He gives you a new power. He gives you a new motivation. He gives you new strength. And I pray that every one of you have the Holy Spirit because you've really trusted in Jesus. As Dr. Luke tells the story, and the next week when we study more about this, we'll learn about in the first century, one of the manifestations of the Spirit was being able to speak in foreign languages that you didn't study, or possibly there's debate about it, speaking heavenly languages. So all of you have been exposed to tongues, and I'll teach you more about that next week. You need to not be afraid of that. Dr. Luke doesn't say that tongues is the only evidence of the Holy Spirit. The real evidence of the Holy Spirit is, as you sit here today, you love God's Word. And you're responding as God's Holy Spirit is teaching you through the Word. 
the real Holy Spirit teaches you as husbands to be in Christ so that you're a loving husband. You see, it's those concrete things. He also causes you to be humble, and, and like 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us, but love is kind, love is patient, love is all those things. The real Holy Spirit isn't just into external manifestations, as important as those are. He's important into internal life transformation. And that's what Dr. Luke is teaching us. If you're going to understand what the Bible really teaches about the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you're not feeling like you're inadequate. Like some of you say, well, Dave, I have friends that tell me that because I never spoke in tongues or I never did some of those external manifestations, I don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not what the book of Acts teaches. Dr. Luke shows us that, that there's all different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. In Cornelius' household, they did speak in tongues, but we have other examples where they don't. And when we get to Corinthians, we have a whole book that discusses, if you read from the beginning, it discusses about a powerful church that has incredible anointing of the Spirit, but they're really immature, and they're very immoral. And it does this weird thing that you can actually have the gifts of the Spirit, but you can be really denying the Lord in your sexual behavior or in your worship behavior. That's why we need a thorough knowledge of the Scripture, always uniting the Spirit with the Word of God. I plead with you, every single day you need to be in the Word of God, or else you're going to be pulled aside. And Dr. Luke is teaching us, I want our church family to be in love with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by the baptism of the Holy Spirit is I want you to be in love with the fact that when you trusted Jesus and you believed in Jesus' resurrection and you invited Jesus to come to live in your life, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. And he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. One of the differences between the new covenant and the old covenant, under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit could be removed, like he did from Saul. Under the new covenant, Ephesians 1 teaches us that you've been sealed, that your Holy Spirit sealed you, and he's the down payment. And God never reneges on his down payment. And I want you to rejoice in that. It's why a thorough knowledge of the scripture is so important. So that this morning you rest in this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. But you're Priscilla and Aquila. You're a business couple. You make tents with your hands. You build tents or whatever you did, leather with your hands. Apollos is an eloquent, learned guy that uses his mouth. What are you going to do? You're sitting in the synagogue. And you listen to this really powerful trained theologian. Man, he rocks the place. But his message is incomplete. What are you going to do? Well, some of you as lay people say, well, I don't have the right. Some of you have been trained. I never have the right to talk to a trained theologian. Like some of you have been talking from the time you were kids. You can't really talk to the reverend or the priest. Okay? So you need to learn from this. The fact that Apollos was this trained theologian, and you have Priscilla and Aquila. And by the way, like we have Priscilla mentioned first. So if you're a woman here, do you as a woman have the right to fill in the blanks for an incomplete preacher? What do you think? What's Luke going to tell you? This is something real important about authority. When you're sitting in a church service, and you feel that what the preacher said wasn't quite on, you don't feel that it was really complete, what do you do? Well, I want to share with you some of the things that in all my time that believers do. One of the things they do is they just go somewhere else. And they just write off Apollos. That poor Jewish guy, he doesn't really have the complete knowledge. I'm just going to stay away from that synagogue. That's not a good answer. The second thing that a lot of lay people do is they gather together in their homes, but they don't invite the preacher to come. You ever done that? 
Be really careful of any means. I talked to a pastor yesterday that was getting a powerful church. It's now one of the most powerful churches in America. But when it was first started as a baby, they only had eight families coming. And four of the families got together and said, we need to get rid of our preacher. And they went to my friend that was the associate pastor was helping this group going. And this associate pastor was told by this group, we want you to lead the group because our pastor, the senior pastor here, he doesn't know what he's talking about anymore. You ever been involved in meetings like that? Be really careful about that. Priscilla and Aquila could have done that. And my friend with the associate pastor had the wisdom to know, hey, that's not the way to do it. They said, if you want to talk about what you want to talk about, we're going to go and get my friend. And so he set up a meeting. Guess who didn't show up at the meeting? So this is the way to examine all of our hearts. This is really parable stuff. Priscilla and Aquila could have done that. They could have just gathered together all the believing friends, all the believing Jews in the synagogue of Ephesus and had them over their house and formed another group, and they could have just kept on going and never dealt with Apollos. But I want you to look at what they did. Look what they did. It tells us here, and it talks to us about this believing couple, this incredible dear couple. Look what they did. It says that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and they explained to him the way of God more adequately. Those are some of the most beautiful words in all of you as business people. Did you hear what Priscilla and Aquila just modeled for you? Do you have the right as a business person to fill in the blanks for a preacher that doesn't have the whole message? Everybody tell me, do you? Tell me really loud. I don't ever want to hear in our church family, oh, I don't have the theology degree. In the body of Christ, if you have the Spirit speaking through the Word, truth, you're the authority. Did you hear what I just said? Authority in the body of Christ isn't in positions. It's not in titles. It's in the Spirit speaking through the Word that leads us to truth. And we all need to be humble about it. And Priscilla and Aquila have a full knowledge. Priscilla and Aquila understand the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they understand how the Holy Spirit has come. It's an incredibly powerful thing. And so they invite. Notice, did they stand up in the synagogue and rebuke Apollos? You ever been in meetings where that happens? That's not a good thing. When you have correction, when you have to complete something, the book of Acts is teaching us Priscilla and Aquila know how to have the person into their home. And then they fill in the blank. And the cool thing about this story is that Apollos, it says that they taught him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, which is down in Greece, he wants to go to Corinth, the brothers and sisters encouraged him. He wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And on arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. So notice our emphasis upon grace. And then we end up back where we began, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public. Now they're in the synagogue debating again. And what is Apollos doing? He's still debating Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. So what do we learn from this passage? We learn, like, for, as a teacher, that I need to be open. I need to listen. I need to be humble. What the Holy Spirit teaches me is the fact that I, that I have a thorough knowledge of the Word of God doesn't mean that I can't learn from my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. So one of the things you can pray for me and for all of our teachers is that, like Apollos, we'll have a humble heart. 
that will never communicate to tent makers. Who are you to talk to me? Apollos. In fact, what I've learned is every really gifted teacher that I've ever known that really knows their stuff, they're always humble. And they always listen. Because it's one of the marks of a wise person. I spend a lot of my time speaking orally. So one of the things that I'm really working on by the power of the Holy Spirit is to listen during the week. To listen to you. To listen to those that I'm trying to minister to. Because I got a lot to learn from you. That's what I learned from Apollos. That eloquence and fervency and thorough knowledge of the scripture and training. We're still just children in God's family. And a lay couple with the truth of Scripture can correct and can fill in the blanks. And I need to always be learning. What can you learn? Is you need to honor the thorough knowledge of the Scripture. You need to bless those that are gifted with rhetoric and oratory and an ability to captivate. You need to bless that. But you also need to bless Paul's that didn't have that kind of ability because the Apostle Paul didn't have the eloquence and the power and oratory that Apollos had. And you're going to learn when you study Corinthians that the Corinthian church said, well, we like the quiet, gentle Paul, that strong and a good writer, but he's not so bombastic. And another group said, no, we like Apollos. He's really powerful and strong. The Lord gave us Apollos. He gave us Paul. He gave us Luke. He gave us all these incredible teachers. And our focus needs to be on Jesus.